Isaiah's passage is about pain. To be alive is to know pain, right? It would be nice if that wasn't so. We would love it if it wasn't so. But in observing the entire expanse of human experience, it seems uniformly true that pain is a part of life. There's physical pain. We stub our toe in the dark or we burn our hand on a hot iron. But the worst maybe is the emotional pain. That's the pain that gets the best of us. And it too is unavoidable because we have to rely on other people. Someone disappoints us or somebody hurts our feelings. Maybe our parents let us down. Maybe our siblings hurt us or some teacher or classmate or maybe an employer or some romantic partner. Maybe we've known scarcity or poverty or uncertainty. Maybe we've been discriminated against. Maybe we have in other ways experienced the unfairness of life. We will experience the pain of grief and loss because mortal bodies wear out. But pain itself isn't necessarily all bad. I mean, after all, we learn from it, right? We learn not to touch the hot iron and we learn to watch where we're going. And we learn that other people aren't going to be perfect. And maybe too, pain teaches us that we are not the center of the world. So many of the troubles in our lives are caused by our reaction to pain, the way we deal with the pain that we have in life. Every addiction, every compulsion that humanity has ever thought of has been in an effort to, to avoid pain. We're trying to run from the pain, distract ourselves from the pain, comfort ourselves with unhealthy self-defeating habits and behaviors, maybe shopping or eating or gambling or drinking or drugs or relationships or sex or work or exercise or religion or landscaping or other home improvements, whatever it is we can think of to do, we can do it to excess. But running from pain doesn't work. It just brings more pain. Isaiah's people are in pain. It's 530 years before Jesus arrives on the scene. They have been in exile in a foreign country, and now they have been allowed to come back to their homeland, to Judah, and they are like the Ukrainians who are coming back into their cities that are burned out and bombed out, except that Isaiah's people were in exile a lot longer. There are piles of rubble where buildings and streets and foundations used to be. And they had Don't such high hopes, you know, such high hopes that they were finally going to go back to their homeland and they were going to get to rebuild the Jerusalem temple and they were going to get to rebuild their homes. And, oh, they were going to plant orchards and they were going to plant fig groves, I mean, olive groves and figs and raise their children and their grandchildren. And life was going to be good, except that rebuilding is really slow hard, painful work. And then on top of that, there are still all the human sins and imperfections that they have brought along with them. 
there are divisions among the leaders. We can relate to that. And people are pointing fingers and looking for somebody to blame. And we know about that. And they're in a long drought. And there are people that know about drought. And water is scarce. And there is famine. And there is hunger. And Isaiah describes their experience this way. Darkness, gloom, weak bones, parched places. And so he says, the people are going to worship and they're fasting and they're praying in order to get God to remove their suffering. And they're disappointed because God does not remove suffering from our lives. God doesn't. God gives us the power to experience joy and purpose and delight in spite of our suffering. God's reply to Isaiah's people are, is uh, you're expecting me to take away your suffering, and yet you yourselves are ignoring the suffering of the people around you. You don't even know how your actions are hurting other people. You're not paying attention to that. Instead, God says, of making lists of all the ways you have been harmed, let's make a list of how you're causing harm. <laughs> by not helping. And then God says, here are some things that you need to take care of before you worship or fast or else your worship is going to be empty and false. So God starts the list. God says, well, there are people who have houses. Great. And there are other people who are sleeping in the street. Not good. Bring the homeless into your homes. God said the rich can fast because, well, they aren't starving. But the poor can't afford to fast. Therefore, give your food to the poor and know that God will take care of you. Then God says there are people who have clothes and there are who were running around literally naked. Why even a shirt, much less a tunic, cover the naked. And God doesn't seem to distinguish between the people who deserve help and those who don't deserve help. All deserve dignity and mercy. So God says, stop focusing on what you don't have and on what you and stop blaming one another and start taking care of one another. Why? Because the way out of pain is service. Jesus once said, if you want to find your life, then give it away. In Isaiah, in the verses right before the ones we read, it's all part of the same little speech. God says, is not this the fast that I choose? Loose the bonds of injustice. Let the oppressed go free. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. See that when you see the naked, cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin. Then God said, your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly and your vindicator shall go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer and you shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. 
This is the path to life. When we stop focusing on ourselves, when we start putting our energy into helping the people around us, we discover joy. Now, I hesitate to tell this story because I am not good. Um, but I did, I think, a few good things this last week. I told you about Jeff last weekend, if you were here. Um, he's a guy who's living on the streets. It turns out, found out he's been on the street since 2017. That's five years of living literally on the street with like a backpack. And um, we, I told you that we had put him in a hotel for a couple of nights so he could take a shower and that his goal was to someday have a car so he could sleep in a car instead of just on a picnic table. Well, after the service, Beth Hell told me she was going to see what she could do to help um, ease along his application for Section 8 housing. And I let him take a shower in my office in the church. There's a private bathroom back there, and it has a shower in it because a former pastor liked to jog on his lunch hour. So we have this shower. So I told Jeannie, I said, anytime Jeff wants to come to the church and you're here, you know, he's a good guy. He won't. It's okay if you let him into my office and he can take a shower. So he took this hot shower and he was just in heaven after that. And then he started to call and text me and just tell me what was going on and where he was that day, where he was sitting or hanging out or camping out and maybe what a need was. And uh, I visited him at two different sites. One was a church's chicken up on 74th Street, and uh, he was, he said, look, he said, God is so good to me. There were three of those round picnic tables with the semicircular benches around them, and one table had a big umbrella, and it was raining outside. He said, they put this umbrella out here, just this one umbrella. You know why? They did it for me, and they let him sleep there on that bench right next to the drive-through of the church's chicken, and nobody bothers him. He told me uh, about the rain, and I went and saw him at the, site, at the church's chicken site, and I took him a tent. Well, the thing was, I took him an old tent, and it turned out it had all the wrong parts. And he kept texting me and, and calling me and saying he couldn't figure out how to put the tent together. And I kept giving him instructions, but of course, there was no way he could follow the instructions because he didn't have the right parts. And um, <laughs> so after a night in the rain, the next day, I said, I've got a brand new tent for you. So I met him up at a park in my neighborhood where he has been sleeping off and on since 2017. And it's under construction right now. I mean, they have a whole place torn up. There's fencing around it and contractor's equipment everywhere. And I gave him the tent and I helped him set it up. And he was just in heaven. And he had it set up on a cement slab. He had no pillow, no pad, no, no nothing to lay on just the bottom of the tent against the cement. And he said, you know, I think I'm going to go over to one of the charities and see if I can get one of those little crib pads like people put in play pens, the little thin thing, and then I'll have something. I said, good idea. And then I went home and talked to my husband because we have all this camping gear and we haven't camped in years. And I have one of those Thermarest mattresses that you can blow up. It's thin and lightweight, and it has an insulating layer in there that keeps the cold from coming up through the ground. So I went back to the park, took down the Thermarest mattress, and showed him how to work it, and took this 
hiking backpack, you know, the kind that puts all the weight on your hips. Anyway, he just started to cry. He kept hugging me and hugging me and hugging me and hugging me. And I didn't think he'd let me go. And he said, thank you so much. He said, the thing is, things that I can actually use. You're giving me the things I really need. And I said, well, I hope they help. I hope you get a better night's sleep tonight and you have a little privacy in that tent. That's something soft to lay on. So I hope this helps. And um, went home. And I felt really good about doing that. But it plagues me. And I keep thinking, you know, it's so easy to do this. And I, 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 I don't want to minimize kindnesses like that. I think they're so important. But I thought about this congregation. We have something he doesn't have. We have capital is what they call it. We know people who know things. We know people who know people who know things and can get things done. What if we adopted somebody like Jeffrey? You know, we may not cure homelessness and we may not cure poverty, but if we could really make a difference in the lives of even one or two people, that would make all the difference for those one or two people. So I'm gonna keep getting to know Jeffrey in his situation. I know he's a Navy veteran. I don't know why he's on the streets. I know he has a mother in Grandview and that he has a 12 year old son. And I know that he doesn't have a way to get to Grandview very often and that he's made Johnson County his home. There's a lot more to discover. I found joy. I find joy and purpose in getting to know and love Jeff. There's another veteran who we're friends with from the breakfast who's been living in his car for a year now. And he counts it a blessing from God that another friend of his has allowed him to park that car in the friend's driveway for the last year overnight. Because if you park your car at a Walmart parking lot or somewhere else, people will come up and carjack the homeless. They will mug you. Um, you're at risk in public parking lots, not to mention you're often interrupted multiple times during the night and asked to move someplace else. So just to have a safe place in a neighborhood to park the car so you can camp in the car overnight is a blessing. He too is a veteran. I wonder what we could do to help him get into something more permanent. In Johnson County, it turns out, we are no longer allowed to build the very homes that built this county. The homes that defined Prairie Village and, and Roland Park and places like that, the post-World War II starter houses that had 1,200 square feet, the little cottages, the small ranch on a, on a modest lot, you can't build those in Johnson County anymore because at some point we decided that the very homes that we and maybe our parents and grandparents bought as their first houses, those aren't good enough to be our next door properties anymore. We don't allow micro housing. We have to have big houses. McMansions have to be built in Johnson County. It's written right into all of our building codes. We need to change. We need to change so we have a place to go in our own county when we don't want to live in our big house anymore. 
when we're older and we want the smaller place and all one level. We want the place that our children can afford on their first house so that they can live closer to us and to home. And what will happen when we do these things? God says, remove the yoke from among you. Remove the pointing of the finger and the speaking of evil. Offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted. And then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noonday. No more gloom in the heart, sunshine in our hearts. And God says, and I will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And used like a water garden, like a, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. Amen.